Welcome to Dentistry Uncut, the stuff you wish you knew. Welcome to Dentistry Uncut. This is Nathan Courtney joined with my co-host Isaiah Douglas. Today we have uh, Dr. Eric Ruprecht uh, with us. Good morning. Uh, Dr. Eric has practiced, uh, had, had a private practice in dentistry for 37 years, I believe it was, in Grand Rapids. Um, he's been involved in organized dentistry, both nationally and, and locally in the state of, in the state of Michigan there. Um, great guy. I, I call him a friend. Um, and, uh, you know, up there in Michigan where you're getting the snowstorm right now, right? It's coming down. Tell me, how are your uh, how are your alpacas handling the the blizzard? For, for all of the uh, uh, all of fiber, all of all, all of the uh, the uh, uh, essentially the the insulation they have, they hate the winter. Uh, they don't much care for it. They're not going outdoors right now. They're staying in the barn. Um, great animals to have because they take almost no maintenance at all. We've had horses uh in the past and these alpacas are great what so i I, i've got to ask because when you told me first that you had alpacas i wasn't actually sure what an alpaca was but what got you guys tuned into to alpacas uh 4-h my i i live on a uh oh i i'd say a, a gentleman's farm but that would presuppose i'm a gentleman but i live on a small farm uh and my uh daughter was very interested in lower maintenance animals and turned out that uh, alpacas was an avenue. She even uh, for years showed them at 4-H. And uh, now that I'm uh, an empty nester, uh, uh, we're actually not boarding them at our house anymore. We actually board them uh, about five miles to the south where we live. Uh-huh. And uh, we did everything with them. We would shear them. We would show them uh, uh, both. Uh, we'd have them run through agility courses at the fair. Uh, pretty tremendous. That sounds very. <laughs> I want to see a YouTube video of the agility test. I, I have some YouTube videos of that, and they they are they're hysterical because these are very stubborn animals that don't like to perform for people. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so tell me, uh, or tell our our listeners, uh, what got you attracted to dentistry? I started, you know, when I was a, a kid, I was a a model maker, a, a, a plastic model maker. I do cars and airplanes and I loved the uh the small uh, digital mechanical put things together a little bit artistic when I was a junior in high school I became a laboratory technician for a local orthodontist I grew up in Midland Michigan and uh that's kind of what got me started on the, on the road to dentistry I I I liked uh, intricate things intricate uh, manual uh things working on it and uh I I liked uh having projects that I could take from start to completion. Wow. Neat. Neat. So the challenge of a laboratory technician, you can probably appreciate, I would gather then, and the a communication between the clinician and the lab technician is, uh, is often, uh, I'm, I'm told, a, quite a, a dynamic relationship that exists there. It's crucial in order to get, uh, to get a really great result for patients, there has to be communication and it has to be across the board and it has to be in both directions. The, the dentist has to respect the lab technician enough to, to allow that lab technician to make uh, uh, constructive criticisms. 
And the lab tech has to respect the dentist as a clinician enough to be able to deliver uh, work that the laboratory technician can work with. So it's, it's truly a collaborative effort. Yeah, I, like any relationship, right? Your investment into it and, and working on the level of communication there can, can prove benefits and probably help yield better results. I'm curious. So if you look back at those 37 some odd years of practice, is there an investment in you or your team, or was there an investment in maybe a specific type of technology that that you felt like was um, maybe yielded you a higher return than than maybe any other? Uh, yes and no. There were two, but they were concurrent. So the the investment in continuing uh, continuing education, which would be me and my staff with my coworkers. Uh, was one half of it, and the other half was remaining uh, current with regard to technology. And it it crossed the board from uh, computers to uh, digital radiographs, but without having the the uh, concurrent uh, continuing education investment in my team, uh, the investment in all of the uh, um, electronics wouldn't have worked because they have to buy into it. They have to know how to use it. So, so that, so that was it. Interesting that you talked about CE because I hear that a lot. And for for so many different people, I talk about you know the best return on investment that you can get is typically back into your business, back into your skill set. But one thing you just mentioned was your coworkers and being the practice owner and framing your team as your coworkers. I think is interesting. Can you touch a little bit about culture and kind of how long your team was together and do you feel like that was a, a big benefit because. There's certain offices that have a lot of turnover oh. that seem to struggle. And those that keep a cohesive team seem to be the ones that can really take things to the next level. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. I really believe I had very little turnover. And at, at one point I, I had 16 uh, individuals working with me for me. 16 working with me while I was their employer and heck yeah, I invested in them and, and my commitment to them. Uh, yeah, my commitment to them mirrored their, uh, or their commitment to me mirrored my commitment to them. And I could not expect to advance uh, any kind of technology or, you know, if the doctor alone goes to a CE meeting, whoopee, come back all fired up, want to do something. The staff hasn't, hasn't bought in. The coworkers haven't gotten that that infusion of, of excitement that a new procedure or new technology will bring them. So I'm I'm bringing them in because that keeps that keeps my my culture uh, practice culture vibrant, and uh, that keeps my coworkers with me. And I hate change. I want to have stability in staffing and with stable stable staff. Uh, patients recognize that. If they see the same person over and over again, it's comforting. They must think, well, maybe maybe Dr. Ruprecht isn't such a bad guy to work for because uh, his people stay, and maybe he's a good dentist because his people stay. I'm curious. That's the short, is, that's the short version. <laughs> no, that's, I'm, I appreciate your, your sharing that. You, you mentioned CEs being a large part of keeping that, that team framework together. I'm just curious, what, what did you budget yearly from a business perspective on – on continuing education, uh, for me personally, probably twenty five hundred bucks. But when when it came to 
CE, and I would include uh, my work team in that, and that would be probably pretty close to an additional five or six thousand, sometimes maybe even more, because uh, there were still some things that I went to that just were intellectually appealing to me that I didn't feel everyone needed to go to. Um, so I would I would end up. Uh, uh, there, I mean, there there are some years where I hit five digits on CE, but but uh, w- those years I was always including uh, my team with me. I feel very fortunate in that a lot of the uh, having practiced in a very large town. I practiced in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's the second largest city uh, in the state, and we could get enough CEs right in our hometown to satisfy our licensing requirements. So I would try and bring them to that. There, there weren't any travel expenses. There weren't any hotel expenses, uh, just meals. And it, it made it really easy for me to get everybody there. Uh, the logistics were simple and uh, I took advantage of it. So when you thought about the decision to retire, what were some of the thoughts and emotions that that you went through? I recently went through a like a designation talking about exit planning and they they really shared some interesting stats that a lot of people regret selling their businesses about you know two thirds of of individuals that own businesses regret it after the fact just because of maybe not knowing what was next or not liking the way that it happened so I'd just love to hear kind of your thought process as you went through it, what went well, anything that you would change like just I think that's a, a a huge moment in someone's life of seeing something you worked for for so many years and then you know, going on to the next stage of life. Okay. Well, my situation might've been a little different, Isaiah, because I ended up, uh, I went to work one morning, uh, about three years ago, uh, all ready to, to, uh, complete yet another work day. I wasn't even remotely ready. And, uh, sometime between the start of the day and, or the, the start of that first hour and the end of it, uh, my left, uh, macula, f- uh, failed me. And, uh, I uh, never picked up a handpiece again. So I, I was totally not ready other than I had I regularly updated my my practice value and I knew where all the documents were. My I went from being an active, vibrant uh, practitioner in, in a very large practice uh, to being on the sidelines in, uh, in the course of one hour. And uh, from that point, I went from... Uh, being on the sidelines to actually selling my practice in 57 days, uh, so I I didn't I didn't have a chance to to mourn uh, really until it was done. And uh, would I have chosen to end at that point? No, I was I was going going well. Um, am I bitter? No, I'm a half full cups half full kind of guy. Uh, and you you land on your feet. What what I, but I had a, a great deal of sadness when I when I was uh, filling out all my my uh, documents for the actual sale of my practice I wept a bit uh, it was it was it was difficult because I didn't do it on my time framework I didn't end on my time framework and do I miss dentistry heck yeah I love the relationships with the patients. Um, but am I uh, even remotely bitter No I ha- I had almost thirty nine uh, spectacular years in practice. And I'm, I'm grateful for what I had. Eric, take us back. So you, you were, uh, one, you were a step ahead because you're so organized. Uh, that, when, just dumb luck. Well, or, or, and maybe type a personality. 
<laughs> so you're organized. Um, you're obviously trying to f- trying to figure out a space that you're not prepared for, uh, be it that you had a medical situation. Um, how? What was the first thing you did in terms of uh, coping with the situation? Wh- how, how did you decide on what your next steps would be? Well, that was, was kind of interesting. Uh, one one of my one of my colleagues and one of your colleagues, uh, uh, a uh, a retired uh, doctor by the name of Kim Senna, actually worked me through my transition. I'd known Kim for thirty five years. We played softball together, but we were never particularly close friends. And uh, uh, but I called him because uh, he was a straight shooter, and I trusted him. And and as we went through my transition. Uh, I was pretty active in it because I knew where the documents were. I understood uh, the nature of the finances and and sort of understood where I was going or where this was all going to end up. And at the end, uh, Kim said, wow, that, you, you really had kind of a grip on everything that was going. And uh, I'm I'm actually very busy as a transitions analyst. I need help. Would you Would you be interested in doing that? So it kind of dropped into my lap. Uh, and maybe just because I'd had some sort of proclivity toward doing it anyways. But I, so I said, well, sure, I'll, I'll give it a go, Kim. And, and that's how I got, how I got into it. I did not expect to do that. Uh, I expected to go on as an educator, which I've also done as, uh, I, I spend, uh, um, two half- uh, um, in, in, uh, some of their coursework. So uh, that's kind of what I thought I would end up doing. And it uh, turns out that this showed up and, and I like it. And, and I know what people are feeling when they're going through it. So I can, so that empathy is real because it's still very fresh in my mind. Yeah. I think that your experience, you mentioned selling your practice in 57 days is um, that's radically fast. So radically I think really fast. <laughs> that's ten, 10 times faster than literally 10 times faster than most practices sell. Right. That's you, um, you uh, but being organized, I think is a, a large part of, of being able to do something such as that, which on that type of timeline is, is incredibly uh, aggressive. So when you, when you look back at how you marketed your opportunity to uh, potential purchasers, um, I'm curious whether, uh, there was consideration given to corporate dentistry. Uh, for me, no. Uh, corporate in uh, Western Michigan really hadn't uh, uh, even even gotten a toehold at, at that point. There there were one or two entrepreneurial dentists with multiple practices, but there weren't. There was no corporate in West Michigan uh, three years ago. There is now, and I didn't give it consideration because I uh, I had. Uh, uh, some individuals that that stepped up right away. Uh, I think part of the reason that they stepped up is is that I stayed current, so they they could go in, they could turn the key and go. And uh, I ended up uh, uh, after I sold, hanging out as a greeter for a few months, uh, which which helped me through uh, leaving practice, and it actually helped them by passing the trust. Uh, but I, I I didn't give any consideration to corporate uh, just because it didn't exist. That's it's different now. It's different it is. now. It is. Well, it's changed rapidly in the last 
you know, in the last few years. So what, what do you think? Um, I mean, you're actively involved in the, and in, still in organized dentistry. Is there, I am. do you feel like yeah. there's a consensus um, with regard to uh, DSOs and, and, and how it is changing the landscape of dentistry? Yeah. And it's, it's kind of an unusual one is that if, if you're to ask most uh, doctors that are on the cusp of selling, do you want to sell to corporate? They go, no, 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 not, not interested. I just want to sell to another individual. Just just kind of like how I bought my practice or, or a number of them. As the boomers retire, there are fewer doctors that actually started from scratch. But they say, no, 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 I just want to, I just want to pass it on to another doctor. I don't want to, I don't want to go to a uh, uh, quote unquote cold, heartless uh, corporation. As they get closer and closer to it, if they're not getting uh, any individual suitors, uh, to purchase a practice, corporate doesn't look quite so ugly. So they would their their desire, I think, still is primarily to sell to an individual, or maybe then an entrepreneurial uh, dentist, and then lastly a corporate. But in the end, their concern about being able to sell it will make corporate more and more attractive as time as There's time a, goes on or if it stays old, on the market. And I don't even know what year. It might be 2014, 2015 ADA stat. that gets thrown around and I've always struggled to find where the source is of this, but it's that 95% of dentists can't retire and maintain their lifestyle. What do you see as you talk to your peers that are maybe in a situation that you hope to have been in, you know, continue to practice and then ready to retire? What's the biggest challenge that, that they face? Is it finding the right person to buy it? Is it emotionally getting ready to sell? Is it, what do I do next? Is it my identity's been Doctor So and So for thirty years, and I just I'm not ready to hang that up. Um, yeah, that's hard because part part of your identity, and, and it's something I came to realize right away, is a part of part of my identity was being Doctor Ruprecht, and and the practitioner, um, and and I'm I'm still Doctor Ruprecht, but I've always also just been Eric, and and. If your entire identity, uh, I would encourage. Or you're, you know, uh, Eric, the 4-H dad or or uh, uh, Eric, the uh, the horse jumper dad or something like that, where it can't just be. Uh, it can't always just be teeth. There's, there's got to be more than that. Uh, other, otherwise, the blow is is severe. It's, it's, it's really, it's really tough to to step out and and as a practitioner, you live, you you organize your entire life in ten minute increments, and those ten minute increments don't exist once you're outside the realm of dentistry, and you can still create a framework of organization, but it is, it's totally different. Uh, you need to be ready for that. Yeah, sorry, my uh, internet connection was so going to follow shitty this morning. I don't know I what's, see the, what's the deal. Um, I guess <laughs> thinking through the opportunity from a, from a young dentist perspective, as they go out and, and look at the landscape, one thing that, that I hear, and I just talked recently at the, the pediatric residency program for, for IU in downtown Indy, I was amazed at how many were very, very interested in corporate dentistry, that that was kind of where they saw their their career path. What do you think and what do you look at as far as the opportunity for a young dentist today? Do you think it's more challenging than when you started? 
Is it better just with some of the upgrades and technology? Like, what do you, what do you see? Oh, I think it's more challenging because their debt is extreme. Uh, when I left dental school, I owed $8,000. And granted, that's a, a long time ago. That was 44 years ago, um, 45 years ago. But what a, what a, just a spanking huge uh, uh, debt they come out of school with. And so that, that kind of colors their decision. They have to step into a situation immediately where they can start retiring the debt. Um, and that does make uh, corporate a little bit more attractive. Associateships uh, can, can indeed sometimes be uh, a, a little bit more challenging uh, in that there may not be enough busyness for them in a lot of practices to be a full-time associate. So they have to do it in a few different practices in order to get a, an income stream to allow them to retire their debt. Uh, that, uh, that could be a little bit of a, a, a challenge. Uh, and they've got debt to the level where they can't just go out and, uh, start a practice cold or buy into a practice immediately. So there's, uh, I, I think it's a little bit more challenging for them. Also in, in that uh, uh, things, things have changed clinically and there's so many more avenues to direct their education that uh, having, having a couple of years of, uh, of practice, either with a general practice residency or, or working for a corporate entity will help them get their speed up and also their, their, not just their speed, but improve their skill level uh, through repetition. I, I actually think it's, it's tougher for them now. So you had an associate at, at one point, correct? I did. Mm -hmm. So uh, how did you identify from a practice perspective when you were ready to add an associate? Uh, partly... That's a, I've got a, a two-part answer here. Yeah, uh, please. I, I had a, an individual that that was a patient of mine from the time he was a nine-year-old. So I'd always said, hey, come and join me. Come and join me. And uh, once the individual uh, graduated from dental school, I said, hey, you're ready for me to join you? And I went, oh, my gosh, no. Uh, take that general practice residency. And in that, in that uh, framework while he was uh, doing his residency, I bought another practice. And, and merge it into mine so that, so that, and it's, it, it is actually really cool. Uh, share, uh, clinical stories, or you can bounce ideas or, or, or thoughts. And, and frankly, sometimes you can decompress because some of our days are, are more challenging than others. So I, I identified him partly because I always knew I wanted to practice with somebody. Uh, and the, the practice I bought was actually in the building where I was practicing, who was a, the, the individual was a friend of mine, and he and I, and actually all, all four of the doctors in the building, would occasionally just get together uh, just to, to discuss cases. And I think, I think dentistry is a lot more joyful when you have colleagues to share it with on a regular basis. Uh, but I realized that I had about a doctor and a half practice, uh, so I couldn't offer the, the individual a, a full-time gig right away. That's why I bought set, another practice. A young dentist, what sets them apart? Um, I mean, everyone coming out of dental school is going to have the clinical knowledge, right? Maybe they're not all on the same levels there. Another skill set, is it communication? Is it, I think selling is a dirty word in dentistry, but I think it makes a lot of sense if you can just sell by explaining why this is important to somebody. Um, what do you think? Sure. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I say, yeah, I totally agree with you. It's part of it is, is uh, I, I look 
more toward personality. Skills can be taught, but your personality is fairly innate, I think. And and the first thing they have to sell is not a procedure. They've actually got to sell themselves as a credible alternative to the older doctor that's in the building or in the practice. And uh, I I look at that. You know, if I if I have a, a younger individual that will not look me in the eye or can't look me in the eye, I, I'm not sure I can hire them because they have to look over the course of a day. They've got to look uh, 20 patients in the eye and first sell themselves and be a credible doctor, even before introducing procedures that would be beneficial to a patient. So if I'm hiring and you don't look me in the eye, I'm not hiring you. I think that's a good rule of thumb. <laughs> So, Eric, uh, you recently, when I say recently, I mean within the last year, I believe it was, were the uh, 2020 uh, recipient of the Silent Bell Award um, in, in Western Michigan. Um, it's, it's, uh, why, why don't you share with us a little bit about um, why you were selected for that? That was the coolest award I've ever gotten because it is you are chosen by uh, by your peers and and not on a national stage or a state stage, but a, a local stage. And it is um, recognition of uh, selfless application to not just dentistry, but community. And it's, it's not just a dental award It's conferred by your dental colleagues, by, by my dental colleagues, but it it was a recognition of, of time spent, uh, in the community, I I, um, I sing with the uh, Grand Rapids Symphony and their uh, uh, community chorus. I have been very active in 4-H. Uh, I support my wife, who's very active in politics, and it, it's, a, it's it's I think it's just a sort of a broad recognition that that you're part of the fabric of your community, not just part of the fabric of industry. How long have you been singing? A long time. Uh, I've been, I've been with a symphony for nine years, but I've been singing in the shower since I was three. <laughs> Were you in choir? Uh, <laughs> yeah, as a young man? I, yeah, I was. I was uh, in the uh, men's uh, glee club at uh, Albion College, and then kind of stepped away from music for for a period of time, and uh, uh, r- ran across a, a friend from my old hometown and said, "Hey, I you used to sing, didn't you?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, a uh, symphony needs you, so." So I started going back with that. I'm a, I'm a, a bass too. I'm a low. I'm one of those low guys, um, and I I, yeah. I do play some other instruments as well. So it's 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 kind of fun. I'm a I'm a what? I'm a pianist and I'm a bass player. You're actually okay, in my mu- you're actually in my music studio right now. And so those so those of you that are just listening, uh, we're we're in Eric's music studio right now. Yeah, just so you know, and it's and and it and it's it, it's spectacular. I've got my my bases in the black thing on the back behind me there, and uh, at any rate, so I I do that. We have a we have a piano in our garage as we're remodeling, so I'm pretty sure there aren't too many of you with pianos in their garage. Uh, but there there, this goes back to me. There has to be something more than just um, dentistry that defines you. Mm-hmm. There just does, because uh, there's 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 a lot of joy there. And you don't know when it's going to be taken from you. You don't. There, think, if there's one thing I could tell people, Nate, it's like, don't live beyond your means. You know, going back to Isaiah's uh, thing about ninety-seven uh, percent can't have the same lifestyle. Hmm. Well, that depends on how high you set the bar. Don't set the bar so high, and you can do just great. 
and and be very happy with your lifestyle. Crush crush your debt as early as you can and do not live beyond your means. So that's great advice, I think, to a younger dentist. Uh, what do you think the what's the one opportunity that that is ahead of a young dentist? If I'm getting out of school right now and I'm looking for a possible position or maybe I've been at a position for the last couple of years, what opportunity do you think sits in front of a young dentist? Oh, wow. You know, one of the one of the things I would would say uh, doesn't always get a lot of play is I, I would encourage them to get active in organized dentistry. Uh Partly because that's where that's where a lot of your friends will come from. Because the only people that really understand the stresses that you're under are are your colleagues. And every profession has a different stress. You know, if, if you're a, if you're a teacher, I like I, I instruct at community college now. The only people that, that understand the challenges there are are other instructors, and they become your friends just because they're the ones that allow you to vent. And, and to pick their minds and vice versa. So you, and so in dentistry, for a young dentist, get involved in that because then other opportunities present themselves. Uh, you may find that that you have a uh, a, a gift in in a certain area, like a you know, like like what. Quite frankly, uh, you don't know what's going to fall. Like Nate, you're a gifted interviewer. Did you ever in a million years think you were going to be an interviewer? Probably I, not. I did not. <laughs> yeah. And, but, but, you know, take, take advantage of the road. Uh, and, and some, sometimes the turn, it, it may look, it may look like an unusual turn, but it ends up being, uh, you know, the, uh, the secret path to, uh, to a beautiful uh, vista, you know, who knows? I like that. The secret so, path to a vista. Yeah. There you go. I guess I sound a little bit. Uh, I, yeah, I'm kind of, I, maybe I'm a little bit too uh, effervescent here, but that's, that's <laughs> as that's we actually, wrap up. That's actually one of how the, I am. One of the things that, that Nate and I <laughs> like to do is have the guests be able to ask any question that they want to either of us. Nothing's off limits. Anything that that comes up, I know you know Nate a little bit better than than myself, so it might be easier to ask him a question. But I'm fair game as well. If there's anything you're curious about and want to kind of poke around or ask. You know, I'm, I'm not going to ask you about farm animals or anything like that. Uh, and, and I'm probably not going to ask you about grooming products or anything like that, but I, I do want, <laughs> Isaiah's got a, a beautiful beard. Yep. And, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I mean, how do you take care of the beard, Isaiah and Nate, what, what kind of mousse do you use on your hair? You know, just curious. And, um, and and again, I'm, uh, uh, if, if I were to ask a question, so uh, how come you guys are doing this? I mean, I, I'm looking at you and, and I'm seeing smiles as we're talking here. How come? That's a great question. So it was Isaiah's idea. <laughs> uh, Isaiah's got a successful uh, podcast, a veterinarian podcast, and quite frankly, um, we would talk offline about, you know, just different things in dentistry and how many interesting people that, that we've learned from. And as they had the idea, he's like, Hey, you know, we, we should put together a dentistry podcast, just talking with some of the interesting people that we know and, and kind of share some of their stories. And so I think at its core, it was created with the idea that, um, 
we can learn from each other. And uh, if this is a platform to be able to share some unique experiences, um, maybe provide some motivation. Um, I think that's one of my goals. I always get motivated by listening to other people and hearing their story. Yeah, I would say um, so. I agree I with everything that, that would be said. my two the cents. The other thing is I personally learn a lot from podcasts and listen to a lot of podcasts. So it's nice to have one that, that I can co-host and ask questions and learn the things that I'm interested in. So selfishly, this is kind of a journey for me to better educate myself because if, if I'm going to be the best, you know, planner and advisor to dentists, what's a better way to learn than go talk to people in the industry and hear what are they seeing? What are they thinking? What are they learning? And then bringing back that knowledge, but also just sharing it with anyone, whether they want to, you know, work with Nate or I or anyone else, they can at least become more educated. And so for me, it's an education sphere. It's a way to, to build out marketing. I talk about marketing a lot with, with dentists because, you know, the average dentist spends 2% on marketing. Um, you know what an easy way to market is, is just be authentic and be you. And so Nate and I get to collaborate and have fun. We know each other personally and we have fun doing this and chatting about it. So it, it kind of works itself out. So I don't know how many people will listen. Again, the show is still fairly young, but um, I think if you put out good content, people will appreciate that and find it. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of the reason. And what we're we're looking to do is learn, educate, share, and and see if people like it. Go from there. I've thoroughly enjoyed my time with you guys. <laughs> well, we have too. We appreciate the uh, opportunity to laugh and uh, and listen. So thanks for being here, Eric. And um, until next time. All right. Awesome. Pleasure is mine, gentlemen. You too. Thank you, Eric. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on Dentistry Uncut. If you didn't know, now you know. today's show the comments on today's show should not be taken as investment tax or legal advice all comments are for educational purposes only you should talk to your professional team before implementing anything isaiah douglas is a partner of vincere wealth management and is also a registered investment advisor nathan courtney is a practice transition consultant with legacy practice transitions and a dental business advisor with cloverleaf advisory group where he's also an owner the biggest compliment you can give is to share our podcast with a friend your reviews will help our listening audience grow. Apple Podcast is the primary platform for our listeners. If you have a few minutes and you love the show, please head over to Apple Podcast and give us an honest review and rating. For all of today's links and show information, head over to www.dentistryuncut.com. Again, that's www.dentistryuncut.com. There, you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss out on the next episode. Thanks for listening.